If you are in tune, if you are in tune with culture, even a little bit, uh, this word "sex" is a big topic. There aren't too many songs you can listen to that doesn't have sex as a subject. And don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. For an example, my boy Marvin Gaye. Oh yeah, he made a song called "Sexual Healing." Look, something y'all said it before I said it. Y'all was getting ready to Marvin Gaye as well as me this morning. Uh, the lyrics of the song says, baby, I'm hot just like an oven. Boy, that's hot right there, boy. Ooh, that's hot. Boy, that's, I mean, that's chicken hot, 425 hot. I say, I said, that boy poetic right there. He said, I need some loving. And baby, I can't hold it much longer. Oh, it's getting stronger and stronger. And when I get that feeling, I want sexual healing. I just always it's medicine, Marvin. Is it medicine? Is that what it is? Makes me feel so fine, helps me relieve my mind. Wake up, wake up. Madonna as well used sexual language to articulate how she felt. Remember that song, Like a Virgin. But not only do we see this word talked about and articulated in music, TV shows like to talk about it as well. The TV show The View titled one of their shows, What Defines Good Sex? And that's just one show out of the many that they had on sex. Another show called The Real titled one of their shows, How Long Should Sex Last? And that's one out of many of the shows that they had on sex. None of these shows had under a million views. And some of y'all had something to do with that. But that's all right. People have questions about sex, and it is a hot topic in a huge part of our lives, and society knows that, and it gets that. The culture is not ashamed to talk about sex and give their opinion on the purpose of it. Why, then, is the church not talking about it or treating it like a taboo? After all, our God created it. And plus, we offer children's church. <laughs> that nursery ain't going about 30% for no reason. <laughs> are we going to be honest this morning? Are we going to be real? Are we all right? One young lady wrote about the consequences of the church not or lack of talking about sex. She puts it this way. Because of the private nature of sexuality and marriage, sexual intimacy is rarely discussed in the church in a joint public forum that addresses its nuances appropriately. But honestly, for the married and the single, as a result, we often adopt a shallow view of what sexual intimacy is. And out of ignorance or laziness, we take on this view from the world through past experience, advice in the media. We then sprinkle it with a little righteousness and hope it will do. The problem is many portrayals of sexual intimacy we encounter are largely selfish, performance-based, and contrary to the love of God. She goes on to say, at the beginning of our marriage, my husband and I believe 
there were only a few things to be concerned about regarding sexual intimacy, appearance, sexual performance, and frequency. Close quote. I believe that it is critical, necessary, and incumbent upon the church to talk about sex. You cannot preach all of Scripture without speaking on this subject. So if you want your pastor to preach all of Scripture, you should expect at least one message on sex. Just at least one. Although there's a whole book dedicated to it. (laughs) My desire and hope as a pastor is that we would share God's heart when it comes to sex. My hope is that the body of Christ would see the body as a place to get real advice, biblical answers, for tough, awkward, and curious questions about life. If we don't talk about it, they'll go find their answers somewhere else. Because now I don't have a safe place to talk about it, right? Some of us may be struggling in our marriage with this part or struggling outside of marriage, wherever you may be. And if I don't feel comfortable or if I don't feel that I can come and talk about it and lay even shame and guilt before the church, where else could I go? The church should be the one place that we can come get some answers and talk about our hurts, pains, and hang-ups. And this may not be your struggle, but I guarantee you if we dig further enough in your life, we're going to find some mess. Sex is a conversation not only for the married, but it is for the single as well, with some different implications, of course. Today I want to help us understand what sex is about. Today will be more of a topical sermon. It won't be our normal exegetical verse by verse. So I'll be jumping around and different things like that. I also will not talk about the LGBTQ uh, sexuality this week. That is for next week. And part of it is that I want to handle that with care. Um, There's a lot of things going on in our society, a lot of controversy. And it's not that we're uh, going around it. Um, So we will address that, but you won't hear much of that today. So you want to come back next week, and I'm going to address some of that as well, okay? Uh, But I do want to dive into what is sex about. And Now that I have your full undivided attention. (laughs) What is sex about? This is a critical question because this is where we seem to go wrong with it. We think it is ultimately about us. And the consequences of that belief Is sex mattering too much? What does that look like? We've been studying the book of Romans, if you've been around here. And now, although Romans is not primarily about sex, it does offer insight. Romans 1.26 says this. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. This is found in Romans 1.26. There is an inescapable connection between our view of God and how we view ourselves. When God is honored in worship, we understand who we are rightly. You cannot understand who you are if you do not understand who God is rightly. When God is dishonored, we dishonor ourselves, and the first place that brokenness is felt is in our sexuality. We see this very quickly in Romans 1. They exchange the glory of God for created things, and the consequences of it is that we experience this kind of misconstrued, misconcept of who we are. 
Now, the Greek word here in Romans 1.26 where he says dishonorable passions, this is very strong language that Paul is using. It is a strong sexual word. The NIV translates it this way, sexual immorality. But it really implies freedom, freedom to have what is forbidden. God responds to man's rebellion in demand for independence by cutting them loose and and, and confusing their proper sexuality, their proper sexual identity. The further we get away from God, the more lost we become. Lose God and you lose your grip on your sexuality. And what happens when we lose grip of our sexuality? People are reduced to what we know today, reduced to booty calls, one-night stands, hitter-quitters, rape, sexual abuse of all forms, and last but not least, the Mari show. It's the worst. It's just worse. The results, please. Look at his nose, Maury. When I'm done, I want to get back to the block, blah, blah, blah. But all of that is a result of what? Us exchanging God. Now, I want to be crystal clear here. Sex does matter. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. But it only matters considering the one who matters the most. We get all the ugly, perverted ways of sex when we exchange it for God. I believe I got a chart up, if you can pull it up. Maybe not. All right, it's not up there. All right, so one of the ways that we can view sex is sex can seem to us to be all of life or it can be a part of life. Sex can either be all of life for you or it can be a part of life for you. The word sex in Hebrew in Hebrew is yada, Y-A-D-A. It first appears in Genesis 4.1. Now check this out. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. This word yada is used over a thousand times in the Old Testament. And it means to know, to learn to know, to be made known, to be revealed, to make oneself known, to cause to know, to reveal oneself, to be known by experience. You see, sex is more than physical stimulation. But it is to open ourselves up and be known in the deepest way possible, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Sex is a gift from God. And by definition, you can see why when it is misused, it is a weapon of mass destruction. We are like kids when it comes to sex, right? On Christmas Day, give Johnny his toy. He unwraps it, and he goes, play, it go, it goes and play with it without reading the instructions. And the instruction says, little Johnny, of course, enjoy this toy, but don't do this or don't do that or it will cause this. And then what does little Johnny do when it doesn't work anymore? He takes it back to the creator and says, this doesn't work. And then the creator says, well, little Johnny, did you do this and that with it? Yes. Did you read the instruction manual? I didn't. Well, if you would have read the instruction manual, you would have knew that if you did this and you did that, it would have resulted in this. 
What does the owner manual say about sex? This gift is reserved for one man and one woman within the context of a covenant relationship for your safety, enjoyment, and God's glory. Battery's not included. (laughs) Watch out now. I'm coming for you. Please do not use with anyone you're not married to. May cause heartbreak, disease, unnecessary frustration, broken homes, baby mama, baby daddy drama, and more. Sex is not the whole of life or the whole of marriage, but it does play a pretty important role. One of the first thing that sex is about is consummating and renewing the marital covenant. Let me say that again. First thing that sex is about, it is about consummating and renewing the marital covenant. Sex inaugurates and initiates the marital covenant. So after a husband and wife say their marriage vows, and you ought to listen to them while you're saying them, for better or for worse. If you're me, what does that worse mean? I need to know what that means. For richer or for poor, how poor? I, I, you know, I just need to know these things. If I'm going to do this, I just need to know. You're talking about broke, broke, or broke? Because there's a big difference between broke and broke, broke. Broke is, I got $5. Broke, broke, I'm borrowing from my homeboy. And broke, 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 I can't pay him back. There it is. And I need to know these things. So I have the husband and wife. Say their marriage vows to each other or the covenantal agreement, it is sealed by sex. Sex finalizes the covenant. Covenants are usually consummated by something significant, valuable, and not shared by those outside of the covenant. Oftentimes, God would establish all his covenants with the shedding of blood. Now, I want to encourage you to go do a study on covenants and shedding of blood There's some things tied to sex that I don't want to get into. But one example of this is the new covenant with Christ. What does Christ say in Luke 22, 20? And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So when we take communion, we are reminding ourselves of the covenant that God has made with us, the agreement that God has made with us, and how did God complete that? How did he finalize that? He did it by the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that is no small payment. That is a very significant thing. God covenant with his bride, the church, is consummated through the shed blood of Christ. Sex consummates an unbreakable bond between a man and a woman in God. The Bible is clear. If you remember Joseph and Mary, Mary and Joseph was considered uh, being engaged until Mary had Jesus and Joseph now knew his wife. But until then, the Bible considers them what? Fiancés, right? In in the engagement. But it wasn't until they had sex where they actually became husband and wife. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel for Joseph. Here it is. He done built her a house. And she come to him talking about, God made me pregnant. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but that's a show for Maury right there. 
You want to run that by me again? It was so bad, God had to send the angel to the brother. Because something like that, you're going to be like, God just going to have to come down and tell me something because I'm just not going to be able to believe that. We're not going to be able to do this today. But God knew. I mean, come on, y'all just be reading the Bible and just reading over it. But you got to put yourself in Joseph's shoes, right? So in nine months, hold on, let me, hold on, let me get this right. Let me see. If I carry the one and I drop the two, two plus three, okay, move the decimal. But you cheating on me? You cheating on me? Because that's all I can get out of that. God had to see in Gabriel, Michael, all the angels to tell that brother, no, man, it's all good. Y'all are crazy. All right. Now, the Bible says the two should become one flesh. God joins the man and a woman together through this sacred act, both physically, psychologically, and spiritually. The power behind sex is no joke, which is why God has boundaries around it. People have killed over this keyed cars over this. <laughs> Some of y'all, y'all done keyed a couple cars in your lifetime. Some of y'all rightly deserving it. People have stopped talking over this. People have developed low self-esteem over this. People have been wounded over this and more. Yet society treats it so shallow. I love this verse in the Song of Solomon. And it goes, promise me. O woman of Jerusalem, by the gazelles in wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. <laughs> I read that. I said, ooh, that's bad right there. That's bad. That's poetic. The Bible is saying, be careful with love and don't rush it. Handle it rightly. Don't be hot like an oven. Come down. Right? Think through this thing. This is serious. You're exposing yourself on the deepest level, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let's not play with that, right? Now, that's what the Bible says. I looked up Post Malone, and this is what he has to say about sex. Post Malone says, I am not here for a conversation. I ain't really trying to talk. I just want to have sex. Can a dude be honest, baby? Baby, I just want to have sex. I just came here to have sex. And if we are honest, we can look down on Post Malone, but that's our flesh before salvation. And for some of us, we still struggle with it after salvation. All right? And so in, in my sinful nature, that's all I see. We see people as sexual objects or sexual toys, and we don't see that they got a spirit and they got a soul and they have meaning and they have worth. How do you fight against a society that is dumping on us all these unbiblical concepts of love? One way is to understand that sex initiates an agreed-upon covenant for better or for worse. And no man or woman deserves you. Listen to me. No man or woman deserves to know you in that way if they are not willing to say to you themselves in the world, this one right here 
is mine. This one, if you like it, you should have put a ring on it. Come on, Beyonce. Ladies and gentlemen in the room, you are worthy of a covenant agreement if you're going to give yourself on that level. You're going to agree with me on some things. Oh, this is not happening, not tonight. Just because you take me to the movies and buy me lunch doesn't mean that you get some tonight. But All right, let me leave that alone. Sex was never meant to be an isolated activity, but it's part of a greater whole called marriage. Men, the Bible does not give you permission to sexually exploit women as booty calls or hitter quitters or one night stands or friends with benefits. The same for women. Rather, the, rather the Bible assumes marriage as the normal context within which men and women will cohabitate with each other and engage in sexual relations. For an example, husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. Number two, sex is about reproduction. One of the beauties and enjoyment God designed for marriage is baby making. Come on, somebody. Got a lot to say amen or something. If you can't say that, say ouch. Say so. This one man and one woman who are supposed to be committed to each other for a lifetime produces a baby because of their love for one another. A baby or babies that is a mixture of both. Now, as jacked up as our Kelly is, he did get one thing, right? Let's go half on a what? On a baby. Man, who creates something so poetic and beautiful? So romantic and deep. No one other than our God. You take a man and a woman, and they are in love in a covenantal agreement, and then they get a little baby that looks like them. Come on, man. I'm like, I got the, I can't wait to meet God, man. Like, how, how you come up with that? Like, how you, you know, mechanic? Because he could have made us asexual like worms, but he didn't do that. It, it's amazing. Yeah, like, what was going through your mind? And I look at stuff like this and I say, how does the church not talk about sex? How do we skip over this? Why is it weird? Genesis 1-2 makes it clear that God created male and female in his own image, blessed them, and commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply. I did my part. That's on some of y'all now. <laughs> See, I'm 30 now. I've been taking all kind of liberties now. I'm like, no, I'm 30 now. No, I'm just like. One reason God designed sex is to populate his creation with more image bearers. Of course, after the fall... This is not possible for all married people. And I want to be sensitive about that fact. This does not mean you are cursed or have human in any way if you cannot have a child. In fact, God may choose you to glorify him in equally other awesome ways. Some of us have been gifted with the beautiful gift of singleness. And God has chosen you to glorify him in other ways as well, namely through purity. We see this in 1 Corinthians 7, 4. And the unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, 
how to be holy in body and spirit. Church, I want to say this. We have to stop alienating our single brothers and sisters like them being single is a curse. You ain't married yet? What? What if I want to get married? Are you, are you looking nice today? You must be looking for a man. No, I just, I just want to look nice. I just, I just want to look nice. Can I look nice? I got I to be all that. You know what I mean? Be content wherever God has you. I want to make sure I make that crystal clear. Single or married is all good. We all family. God uses both in different ways to glorify him. God has designed, though, for children to be raised in the context of marriage. Time will fail to list all the damages that has happened because we chose to have sex outside of marriage. Now, someone might object and say, man, here you go with this old school Bible stuff, talking about sex only in marriage, waiting until you get married to move in. Ain't nobody trying to hear that old school stuff. Now, imagine. If somebody was driving and they said, you know what, that red light, green light stuff, that's old school. Don't nobody need that. <laughs> and those yellow lines on the ground, they've been down there since the Great Depression. I ain't thinking about that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Just because something is old school doesn't make it obsolete. Doesn't mean that it is irrelevant. Now, you go ahead and disobey that red light and that green light and them yellow lines, and you see who the idiot is then. <laughs> and this is exactly what happens. When we call God old school and, and, and what he says doesn't matter, we get chaos. And the results show that God is right. And the reason why I say this is because people are so quick to say, oh, Dex, that's old school. This is the new way. Hold on, brother. Slow up. Let's look at statistics real fast. Let's see how right you are. The effect that this has on children is incomprehensible. Nearly 40% of all children in the U.S. are born out of wedlock. One out of three children lives in homes without their biological father. Children that grow up in homes without their fathers are five times likely to be poor, four times likely to drop out of high school, two times more likely to go to jail, four times likely to have emotional and behavior problems, 70% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Why do I share this? Because sex inside of marriage is not only for our benefit, but for the flourishing and safety of our children in our society. God got it right, church. We have got to fight against it's cute just to have a baby outside of a covenant. Now, I want to be humble here. Because I have fallen short of this myself. I had my first child when I was 16 years old. And I do know the difficulty in it. But I want to talk to the young men in the room for just a moment. Just because you have failed in this area does not mean that God cannot use you and change things around. He can. He can. And your child needs their father. Oh, they need you, Dad. And there is no greater joy than to come home to the house that you're providing for and your kids to run up in your arms and say, Daddy's home. There's no greater joy, right? And I brag to the young dudes all the time. 
I'm okay with one woman in the house and children. Right? The world tells you that it's joy outside of that and to make your life about sex, it's not. The real joy is committed to one family and one woman and one child or children and allow God to flourish that. And we got to restore the image and beauty of that. And to, and, and to communicate to our young man, your identity is not a dog. Your identity is an is a image bearer from God. You're not a dog. It's too much of, oh, that's just men. Men are going to be men. No, that's not the definition of a man at all. And young women, I want you to listen to me. Do not give yourself to a man if he is not willing to lead you into covenant marriage. You are worth far more than that. And here's my advice if he doesn't want to do it. Run. As far as you can. Get your running shoes on like you was in the Olympic. I'm talking about Usain Bolt fast. Like, get out of there. Okay? You want to get out of there. The biblical design for baby making is between a married man and woman, which is another reason for sex to stay in the boundaries of marriage. Number three, marriage is about protection. Sexual intimacy protects from temptation. And let me say this out the gate. Celibacy for married people is wrong. Everybody who's married should say amen. Amen. If you're married, the Bible commands you have sex, right? Every husband in the building got 1 Corinthians. Now, a lot of y'all men, y'all may not know any other verse in the Bible, but every man I meet know 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Right there. Right there. Go there, girl. I'll meet you in a second. This is what uh, Corinthians say. The husband, y'all acting up. Sorry, I should have brought two bottles of water up here. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. Now, that phrase, conjugal rights, means you owe this to each other. Now, I know that sounds like a turnoff that you got to give it up because of obligation. But hold on. I'm going to help you out. And if we're being honest, sometimes in marriage, that's just the case, all right? This is not optional. Now, why would Paul have to write this? Because when I see things in the Bible, I say, well, why is he writing about that? Why does he have to command the church to do this? Seems like it's something they should want to do. They're not doing it, and I need to know why. That's how I read the Bible. What happened here is these Corinthians, they got saved, and immediately they said, well, For us to be totally set apart unto God, we're going to stop all of our physical relationships. So they're like, no sex. And Paul is like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Paul is like, no, it is good to get married and have sex in that covenant because it will protect you from sexual immorality. This is the argument that he gives. 
In contrast, Paul in verse 1 is like, it's cool if you have the gift of singleness and you want to abstain from sex. Paul is like, that's good. In fact, Paul abstained from it. He had the gift of singleness. And there's nothing wrong with being single. People don't become more valuable by becoming married. They're valuable before marriage. But it is good if a man or a woman cannot control their sexual desires. Paul says it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Talk about the single people. But if you can't control your sexual desires, he says, get married. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So don't be like Martin and Gina trying to see who can go the longest without it. It's not going to be helpful at all. Talk about, uh, now, it's okay in marriage to agree not to have sex for a time. It's okay for the husband and wife to come to an agreement and not to have sex. Paul says this, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Underline limited. Limit. L-I-M-I-T-E-D. Limited. Not eternity. That you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, watch this, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. When married couples are refusing to have sex with one another, you are setting each other up for failure. Satan can tempt your spouse if you're not doing your duties. Now, you may say, well, they need self-control. Look at the verse. Get married because of their lack of self-control. <laughs> what do you mean? Paul said, you need to get married because you don't have the gift of singleness and you can't control yourself. You need to get married. Period. Satan will tempt your spouse if we neglect this. Now, that's exactly why we need to get married because of our lack of self-control. It's not the only reason to get married. I want to be clear on that. But we are a church that believes in support to lovemaking. We will occasionally watch your children to help you out. Do not take advantage of it. But I will watch your kids. Yeah, I got a couple hours. Be back. I got other things to do. Now, let me further help y'all out. When y'all get that time alone, do not turn on no Kirk Franklin or no Hill song. Okay? Be lifted higher. That's not the time for that. No Hill song. Turn on some Mar Marvin Gaye, some Luther, some Silk, Derek Bentley. Now for the sake of not being nearsighted, I'm not saying a strong marriage is based off of good sex. It's not what I'm saying. But a strong marriage is based on God and will result in more sex. Do not just build your marriage on sex. It will crumble. It will crumble. The Bible has, now, now let me talk to everybody who want to point out 1 Corinthians 7, 3. 
That's not the only command for marriage. The Bible also says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, respect your wives. We need a holistic view of it. Sex is a part of it. It's not the whole of it. You can't treat her like a sex toy or treat them like a sex toy or treat them like they don't have a soul and then say, let's have sex. You are still disobeying God in other categories. All right. Number four. Sex is about pleasure. Somebody ought to say amen in the building. I was a little weak. I expected more. I ain't going to lie. Amen. And hallelujah. God designed sex to be good and enjoyable. Look at that, boy. Y'all crazy. Sex has a way of combining the joint fulfillment of emotional, spiritual, and physical desires in a way that brings about a great pleasure. True sexual intimacy allows us to have a joyful and free expression of physical desires with our spouse. Let me say that again. Sex has a way of combining the joint fulfillment of emotional, spiritual, and physical desires in a way that brings about great pleasure. True sexual intimacy allows us to have a joyful and free expression of physical desires with our spouse. The Bible glorifies it. In fact, the book of Songs of Solomon has a whole book written just on physical, the physical part of marriage. God dedicated a whole book. A whole book. This is crazy. This is what it says. Love, says Solomon. I'm going to get my, you know, my very white voice on. Yeah, I don't remember. Love, says Solomon, becomes a most vehement flame as passionate and hungry as the sea. Go ahead, boy, with your bad self. Song of Solomon gives us a magnificent lyric in praise to the physical desire of marriage. It goes on to say, your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your lips, y'all ain't know the Bible got down like this. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. I said, whatever you're saying, I'm vibing with you. And your mouth is lovely. You are all fair, my love. And there is no flaw in you. The ladies are like, amen. amen. Gentlemen, if you need to lift your marriage up, I want to recommend Song of Solomon to you. <laughs> then he says, you have ravished my heart. Ooh-wee. <laughs> and then she is equally thrilled. My beloved is radiant and rooted. He is Fairly than 10,000. She cries, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He, his desire is towards me. There's nothing more lovely than two married people gazing into each other's eyes, and you can feel the energy and the love among them. She says, I am sick with love. That's talking about physical. I mean, she is really excited about this guy. And hear about her, but that's how it ought to be. God designed marriage to be the physical, I mean, I'm sorry, God designed sex to be the physical expression of love. Sex is supposed to be great, and enjoyable, and pleasurable. 
And here's some advice to help that. Your sex life cannot be performance-based. Built on the worldly fairy tale. Get Hollywood out of your mind. Enjoy each other, and you'll enjoy sexual intimacy. Every night is not going to be a home run, but every night could be a night with your best friend. And every night is not going to be on the top of Mount Everest. You may even get into an argument afterwards. It's not, you're not married, it's not going to solve everything. It's just not. God has designed sex to be highly pleasurable and fulfilling. We ought to be in awe of this beautiful gift God has given us. But as, as amazing as sex is, it is not more satisfying than God. And ultimately, my last point is sex is about God. What's the first question in the Western Minister Larger Catechism? It is, what is the chief end of mankind? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The answer means that God created male and female in his own image so that they would find their joy in him and that they would glorify him forever. God wants us to find our highest joy in him, single or married, not sex. The deepest experience with intimacy for humans will not be discovered in created things, but in our creator. There is no greater intimacy than to know God and to be known by him. There is no greater intimacy than to be known by God and to know him. Marriage, sex, making babies will go away when Christ returns. And now I know some of you don't want to go to heaven anymore. <laughs> Just being honest. Listen, I'm not making this up. It's all going away. It's going bye-bye. It says this. You are, uh, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they're questioning him about things and about marriage and the afterlife or whatever. And Jesus responds, you are wrong because you know neither the scripture nor the power of God. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are giving in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Jesus Christ will ultimately replace sex, and he will replace marriage. Sex is about Christ. If something fades away and it has an end, you need to know what it's pointing to. Marriage, sex, more children will no longer be needed when Christ comes. Sex is a picture of what it is to have intimacy with Christ. But just like the S-U-N will not be needed in the new life, when the S-O-N replaces it, neither will sex be needed when Christ returns. Sex is meant to take my soul to the precipice of intimacy so that I can gaze out at the beauty and the glory of God and to see him in all of his fullness. God wants us to experience that joy in him. Not to stop at sex and say, this is it. No, go past that. When, when you say, man, sex is pleasurable. Sex is great. You ought to say, who created that? He got to be better than that. 
If he created that, how good is he? Pleasure. Sex is meant to point us to God. Church, there is no greater intimacy than our intimacy with Jesus. Can I talk about the lover of my soul for a minute? Jesus was stretched wide, and they hung him high. And for me, he died, the lover of my soul. Jesus who dies for me while I am a sinner. Jesus who was wounded for my transgressions and abused for my iniquities, the lover of my soul. Jesus who will wipe every tear from my eye, the lover of my soul. Jesus is the lover of my soul. And I don't know about you, but I want to be with him so I may see him as he is. I love the way the theologian Jonathan Edwards put it, to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Father, mother, husband, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? In other words, God is infinitely better than sex. Christ is infinitely more enjoyable than sex. Christ is infinitely more satisfying than sex. Christ is infinitely more powerful than sex. Can I talk about him for a minute? Time would fail to speak of his greatness, the greatness of his love, the greatness of his sovereignty, the greatness of his creativity, the greatness of his power, his justice, his patience, his meekness, his wisdom, his knowledge, his grace. Oh, time would fail to speak of all the galaxies he's created. and the endless reaches of space, oh, time would fail to speak about his sovereignty over every plant and animal, over every weather movement, from the micro to the macro level, from viruses to malaria to hurricanes to tornadoes to monsoons. It is all over his sovereignty, and there's nothing outside of his jurisdiction, and we will spend an eternity getting to know God. So here's my encouragement to you this morning. And the worship team can come back at this time. Do not exchange God for sex. You will be miserable. Let sex point you to God and you will understand it and use it appropriately. Now, if you're like me in the room, you have fallen in this area not one time, not two times. Not three times, not four times, not five times. I have failed so many times in this area. And I remember when God first saved me, when I was weeping in my room because I just couldn't get this sex thing under control. Broken in tears. But I did not know how powerful Jesus was. I did not know how satisfying he was. But 11 years later, I'll tell you, he can break the power of sexual sin in your life. Oh, he's that satisfying.
So where does the broken go? Those who've been scarred, been abused, mistreated, self-esteem a wreck because of it. Every man I get, he uses me. Guys weeping in front of the computer screen at night because they can't seem to get a grip on it. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Experience forgiveness and experience the power of God because he can and he will break it. My encouragement to you is to ask Jesus for help. And not only Christ, find brothers and sisters in the body and say, can you help me? Can you hold me accountable? I want you to know that we are a church that strives to not be waxed over with religion. We're all jacked up and broken, so welcome to the club. So if you got burdens, you got issues, you came to the right place, welcome. And I'm jacked up too, but God has took me from sinner to saint, from darkness to light, and he's continually renewing me, right? This is a daily battle, and we got to get this thing together, right?